Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. I left the faith I grew up in feeling I wasn't good enough or I didn't fit in. I felt like I was the black sheep. For many years, I called it my God and my spirituality. Um, I played the person who said, I don't need to go to a church to believe in God. Through the years of not being in a church, I didn't really think much of it. When I started in the last few years, getting a few pushes and nods inside of me, didn't know what it was, and here it was God telling me it's time, I found Sugar Hill Church. Through Sugar Hill Church, in just six months, I have opened my heart up and therefore my ears up and heard God speaking to me And through that came my aha moment of realizing that God was with me the whole time. I was just not accepting him in. And I have learned how to accept him in and to love and obey him and therefore making it much easier and simpler to say I am am a child of God and I love God more than I am just a spiritual person. I believe with my new faith and the confidence I have in my new faith that God wants me to share it with other people. I am a recovering addict with many different vices. I believe that God has been pushing me and telling me to share that with people who need to hear stories in whatever way he sees fit. That young lady's name is Beverly. I don't know if you're here today. Beverly, are you out there somewhere? You may have been at 930, I'm not sure. Um, Beverly owns and operates the uh, the healthy food vitamin kind of store place next to Bodyplex up there. I know some of you are thinking, Chuck, what were you doing in a place like that? Um, <laughs> I'm getting healthy, that's why. And uh, she's helping me do it. But I I will never forget that day when uh, Bobby and Ethan and I were were in her store next to Bodyplex, and that's all the rumble you hear is because of the folks working out next door. And um, and I'll never forget she sat there, and we probably had thirty minutes worth of uh, worth of, of video that was captured, and and Ethan edited it down to to that few minutes. But what was so cool in that time was everybody that walked in and out of that store during that time, Beverly invited to church. I mean, it was just, it was so cool. I just, every, and so one of her friends came and sat down at the counter there and, and the whole time her friend was sitting there watching this, here's what she heard Beverly say. You know, I, I grew up in a faith that really, I just, I, I couldn't believe that I had to go through somebody to get to God and I was struggling with that and then I felt like I wasn't accepted for who I was and then all of a sudden I, I found that Jesus loves me and, and it was so amazing and it kind of changed my life and the whole time we're talking about this, this girl's sitting at the counter and she's saying, well, I'm going to come to that church. And, and I thought to myself, now, that is what loving completely looks like. This recognition that God loves me, that God never left me, that he, he wants me to have this personal and intimate relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. And as a result, now I want to tell the whole world about it because I'm just so full of what he's doing in my life. And so for Beverly, what I, what I have found is, one, she's just a great friend. And two, here's somebody that's just got so much Jesus going on inside of her, she just can't help. So if you run across her, odds are good she's going to say, hey, why don't you come to church with me? Which leads me to this question. How about you? So, love. 
Love completely. Last week we talked about if you had 30 days to live, you got to live passionately if you're going to have no regrets in your life. Today we tackle this concept of how do we love completely. If I'm living passionately, then I'm going to love completely because I can't love completely without having passion and I can't live passionately without love. It takes both. But now to try to define love is a radical and difficult thing. And so let me attempt to do that. Eddie, come on up here if you would. Uh, Eddie has no idea I'm doing this to him. No, no, don't come up here. Just come right up here. Come right over here and step up on, on, on this right here. Step up here. Primarily, I just need somebody to lean on for a minute. Bless your heart. This is Eddie. Why does he always do this? I know. All right, let me get you a picture of love. That's the most adorable face or what? Um, Eddie here is a colossal mess up. Eddie's made mistakes like you can't believe. Better believe it. Let me finish the story. Eddie, at a point in his life, said, God, I've really made a mess of my life, and I need you. Okay, now watch this. God, in his infinite love and patience and mercy and grace, looked down and saw all this. And he said, Eddie... I know everything you've done. I know everything you've thought. I know everything you're doing and everything you're thinking. Eddie, I know everything you're going to do and everything you're going to think. And then listen to what he said in John 3, 16. For God so loved Eddie that if Eddie would say to Jesus, I believe in you, that Eddie, you can have life more abundantly, peace and fulfillment and joy and contentment on this earth. And then you can live with joy, fulfillment, and in the presence of Jesus, your Savior, for eternity. And all you've got to say is, I know Jesus loves me. I need you. And look what God did then. He said, Eddie, you're no longer just some human on that planet. You're my boy. I've adopted you into my family like you're my very own. And now I'm going to hold you in my arms, and I'm going to love you forever and ever and ever, even though I know everything you've ever done wrong. That, my friend, is love. Thank you, Eddie. Man, thank you. Thank now, let me remind you. Now, let me remind you. I could have picked any one of you. Any of you. I could have brought Terry up here. Or Kristen. I could have brought Michael. I could have brought any of you up here and stood here and said, this is what God said to you. I love you. And I love you so much that I sent my own son to die for you. That whoever would believe in his name they wouldn't have to die without me, but they could live forever. That, my friend, is love. Now, the challenge is, though, we like to define love our way, and we like to define love on our terms. A few weeks or a few years ago, I read, I read a book called um, 
into thin air. It was a story of climbing Everest, and there were some deaths on the trip, and there were some victories on the trip, and uh, this guy who writes for Outside Magazine had written the book, and, and, and when I read it, I got fascinated by it all, and I studied more about Everest, and I studied more about uh, mountain climbing, and I, I began to find out that, you know, when you climb a mountain, there are several things you do, and the first thing, you've got to understand what you're climbing. You've got to understand what the peaks and the valleys and the crevices are, and you've got to know where they are, and you need to have a road map. And so today, I want to try to give you a bit of a road map about some of the mountains that we've got to climb to get past this no regrets life and be able to live it in such a way that if we had 30 days to go, we could get our love relationship right. Last week, I asked you if you would send me a text to a Google number that that told me, all right, this is my passion in life, and here are the obstacles that I need to overcome to get that. And I really didn't know how many people would send that uh, text because we didn't have it connected to any contact. So unless you put your name on it, we have no idea who that was. And it just came to me. And by the time they came in throughout the week, almost 450 of you had sent a text that said, here's my obstacle or here, here's my passion. And I told you, I promise you that I'd pray for you each day for 30 days. Y'all have exhausted me this week. <laughs> but they came in in one of four buckets. And, and so we kind of categorize those and that's how I pray through them. Overwhelmingly, many of you said that one of my great challenges in life is my relationship in my family, either with my spouse or, or, or a fiance or a significant other or with children. That, that, those relationships were just in a mess. And then the second bucket would have been money. I mean, because of finances within, we've got this great strain in our family, we've got this financial struggle and, and hardship. The third one was, I've got some type of addiction that I'm dealing with. I mean, some of it was porn, some of it was alcohol, some of it was drugs, some of it was painkillers. I mean, just there's some kind of addiction. And then the fourth one was kind of the category that I, I put in their God words. Like if you had asked this question in a Sunday school class and you had to answer out loud, you would have answered Jesus because that's the answer to every question in Sunday school, right? And so I, I got four buckets and why I looked at it. So as I prayed through all of those four buckets, it became, it became so aware to, to my own heart that we're struggling with relationships. They're hard. They're not easy. You know why? Wherever two or more are gathered, you got problems. You see, our problem is we, we like to think conflict only exists when we speak it out loud. The fact of the matter is, wherever you've got diverse thought, conflict is there. And conflict exists in our world. Our problem isn't conflict. Our problem is mismanaged conflict. But God has a method and a, and a way in which we're to tackle this. As a matter of fact, let me help us understand how he saw love and how he dealt with it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, here's what Scripture says. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Jesus is that power. What he did on the cross is that power. Jesus came and shed his blood, gave his life, and in that loving action gave us the power of God. Well, let's talk about the mountains that we've got to overcome if we're going to experience that. The first one is the mountain of misunderstanding. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you are married? Hold, hold your hands high. How many are married in this room? Hold them high. Hold them high. Okay. Based on getting ready to come to church this morning, how many of you are second-guessing that? Okay. Yeah. A few of you are, yeah. A few of you brave souls are going to pay the price for raising your hand when you go home. So, um, here's what I've really begin. I, I recognize it in my own marriage. I recognize it in those of you that I know. I know it in every relationship. Uh, every relationship fights. I mean, isn't that true? I mean, is there anybody here say we never fight? Anybody want to go that route? 
Okay, well, good. At least we don't have any liars in the room. And so, um, well, at least on that topic. And so uh, the fact of the matter is, I don't know any relationship that doesn't have, have spats, but most of us don't fight fair. And so what happens is we have to deal with this mountain of misunderstanding. I mean, in the beginning of a relationship, everything seems so positive. I mean, you're climbing this smooth trail. Life is good. You're not having to breathe hard. It's all working out. And then, bam, that some obstacle comes into our life. And all of a sudden, there's a boulder that we got to move and we got to get back on the path. And all of a sudden, the path is filled with briars and things are difficult. And this course becomes a death zone in my climb. And, oh, man, this is difficult. And then you realize, I thought this person was just like me, but opposites attract and then opposites attack. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? I mean, it's just, it happens. We can't read each other's mind, and before long we make molehills in the mountains, and when they come together, it's just rare. And all of that's because we've stopped recognizing that each of us are valued by a heavenly Father, valued to the degree, like with Eddie, that, that Jesus said, I love you, I'll die for you, I'll walk out of a tomb and blow that rock out of my way and go so that you might have a home forever in heaven and you might live with that power and that grace throughout eternity. And when I stop valuing someone else through that light, what happens is I get caught on the mountain of misunderstanding. And before I know it, little things become big things. And then bitterness just starts welling up. And then I have this lack of forgiveness and I'm mad and I'm all ticked off. And I've just swallowed a poison that I intended for somebody else. And it's eating me away from the inside out because we've gotten caught up on misunderstanding. And those misunderstandings happen, one, maybe our body language or maybe the way we said it or maybe when we said it. But you know, at the end of the day, could I give you this thought? Unless you're going to be bent out of shape about it seven days from now, don't be bent out of shape about it today. I mean, think about it. And unless God just, just says to you, okay, really deal with that right now. Why, why don't you wait and say, wait a minute, this is a gift from God. I know you're sick of me saying this, but Jenny is a gift from God. God literally picked her up and put her in my path and, and she's my gift. And so if I see her as a gift from God, my creator, my sustainer, my strong tower, I can't help but see her as this. I love you. As a result, I value you. I value not only the fact that you are God's gift to me, I value you that you and your creation and who you are, you are sustained also by the same God. And together we are stronger than any one of us could ever be on our own. Why would I not say, I love you? Now, don't get me wrong, we fight about little stuff too. I mean, we're human. And at the, end of the, at the end of the time, you know what always happens? So we come back together and hear the three words that seem to always work through all of that, and that is this, I love you. Because I do. I know some of you guys are saying, well, bless God, I told you 38 years ago when I got married to love you. And I can change my mind. And when I do, I'll let you know. <laughs> Could I just lovingly and graciously share this with you? You're an idiot. <laughs> what in the world? Really? I don't know anybody on the planet that doesn't want somebody to say to them, I love you. I, not one time have I looked at Jenny and say, honey, I love you. 
and her look back and say, I don't need that anymore. I got it. <laughs> Not one time has she ever done that. I just think that's cool. I say I love you to her. Guess what she says? I love you too. And you know what I feel like? Cool. How great is that? So let's don't let the little things swallow up the big things. You know what the big thing is? You are God's gift to one another. Now you're sitting here today and say, well, Chuck, I'm single, but I don't want to be single. Can I give you a thought? You are equally valuable. And in God's timing, I promise you, there's exactly who God wants you to be with. And our task when we're there is to allow the patience and the grace and the goodness of God to do that. And don't build up a wall and don't shut it down. Let him do his thing. It's coming. So we, we deal with this mountain of, of what it is to, to, to just make molehills and misunderstandings out of this. Another mountain that we climb is the mountain of me first. I mean, this is, this is overwhelming in America today. Me first. I, I mean, it's just human nature to say, I'll meet your needs if you meet my needs. I mean, sometimes we treat relationships with this quid pro quo kind of deal. Let's say, what, if I take care of you, take care of me. That's not love. That's business. That's a transaction. I mean, God didn't give us one another in our relationships and our friendships and our marriage with our children. God didn't give it to one another so that we do business with them, that we're in transaction with them. God gave us to us that we might serve one another. Jesus came and said, I haven't come to be served, but I've come to serve. He went on to say, if you want to be great, you must become my servant. I mean, too often we really do look at life when we think to ourselves, wait a minute, but I got to take care of me. I got to take care of me. Or you've heard some counselor or Dr. Phil or Oprah say, you know what you need to do? You need to take care of you. Let me give you this thought. If you really want to take care of you, go serve someone else. And I promise you, your soul will be quenched. You, you, you want to go serve somebody? Get on a plane and go with us to Eleuthera. Get on a plane and go with us to Haiti. Get on a plane and go with us to Kenya. Give yourself away, and I'll promise you, I have never found anyone who didn't sense that they were needed, valued, wanted, or loved when they were busy giving their life away. Every time I see somebody, it's coming, I'm just, I don't know what to do with my life, and Chuck, I'm so lonely, I'm just so worn out. And so, you know what I found? You, you kind of cuddled up in a cave and hid out. Listen, you know, Jesus wants you to give it away. It's not me first. It's how do I serve people? How do I love people? But you know, it's hard to love people when you don't allow the goodness and the grace of God to well up and bubble inside of you so you got something to give away. You know how I can see somebody who's living in the love of Christ along their journey there's more puddles behind them that people get to play in and it feels like grace and it feels like goodness and it feels like wholesomeness and it feels like there's wisdom and it feels like, wait a minute, they're there to serve me. It's hard to do that when you've got a mountain of bitterness built up in there. It's so hard to do that, the mountain of me first. Well, the third peak that I think we deal with is the mountain of mistakes. So another quick poll. I feel like Bobby up here doing the polls. How many of you have made a mistake this week? Very good. Okay. How many of you have done... You, slate was perfect for you this week. Anybody? Okay, at least we don't have a room full of liars. So um, can I just give you this thought? I've made more mistakes just today than anybody should forgive me for. How about you? Anybody get in a fight with your spouse and your kids on the way to church? 
Any of you just screaming, we've got to go. Jesus is waiting on us. We've got to go. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah, and then when you got to church, people say, how are you? We're great. So you are a bunch of liars. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've all made mistakes. And then, you know, inevitably, if you really sub, love someone, you're going to get angry at them, aren't you? I mean, it's just going to happen. Could I say though that the anger doesn't last because love trumps it? Love trumps the anger. But don't let the anger stay. You know how anger stays in our life? It's really this simple. It's when you say, I'm going to prove to you that I'm right. How's that working for you? Well, I'm going to prove I'm right. Well, you know what? At the end of the day, you know what happens when we see when we've made mistakes, but we're really living in the love of Christ? You know what happens is we stop trying to prove we're right, and we start trying to make things right. And one of the first ways we make things right is we recognize, you know what? You're as fallible as I am. You're as human as I am. And yet the love of God trumps all of that. But that means you got to really value and that means you got to give God time to let your soul be, be quenched and, 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 and let a thirsty and a dry heart be quenched and allow him to do work in your life in such a way that you recognize, wait a minute, God's given me this gift and it's going to take supernatural help. You know, it's not human, it's not natural to serve others. It's not natural to not serve me first. It's not natural for me to just forgive your mistakes. That's not natural. That is a supernatural act. It's the presence of Jesus living within us. I've said it before and I'll say it again. The only thing good we truly offer others, including our spouse, our children, our friends, our co-workers, our church members, the only good we offer is the Jesus within us. All other means in our life have great capacity for evil. And you say, but Chuck, deep down in my heart, I'm a good person. Apart from Christ, you're not. So the good that we offer is the presence of Jesus within our heart. And that requires, first thing, acceptance. I've got to accept that people are uniquely different than me. I've got to accept that God made them that way. I mean, I look in the mirror sometimes and I think, Chuck, you are clearly the weirdest human alive. I don't think like normal people. I don't, I don't act like normal people. I'm just, I'm truly just weird. I mean, I, I, I can't help it. I mean, it's just kind of God's made me weird. And y'all, y'all put up with me and tolerate it in spite of that. I mean, have you ever walked down a hall and you've seen somebody and you kind of leaned over to your spouse, whoever you're with, and you kind of said, look, look at that. Can you believe? Wow. Has it ever occurred to you that while you're walking down the same hall, somebody's saying the same thing about you? I mean, like I just said, I'm the weirdest person alive. And somebody, it was kind of a gracious, kind of a golf chuckle. <laughs> you know, let me, let me, let me turn the camera the other way. You know who's in this room? Bunch of weird people. I mean, we're all weird in our one way, aren't we? I mean, aren't we all? Yep. I mean, when you get married and you go, you visit the other family for the first Christmas and you realize, whoa, <laughs> those are like the creepiest people ever. And there's always that one uncle. It's like, dude, really? There's not a brain cell left from your college days. What happened to you? You know? I will admit, Jenny's family comes to our home for like the 23rd every year. That is the weirdest group of people ever, all right? I love them. I truly do, because it's one of the most entertaining nights of the year for me. I mean, Jen, am I, is that the truth? I mean, truly, like when Uncle Dick shows up, it's like, do, 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 do. 
And you know what's very cool about this? You look at those people and you think, my life is so blessed to accept them into my world because they really are fun people. But you know, if, if you look at everybody wanting to be just like you, can you imagine how this world would look? I mean, you know what the world doesn't need? More of me. I mean, think about it. Does the world really need more of this? No. The world is in desperate need of more Jesus. So I, I need to have this willingness to accept the fact that God made no mistake when he made the wonderful creation, you. Does it make you perfect? No. Does it mean I accept you with all of your frailties and faults? Well, yeah, it really does. Does it mean I understand them and agree with all of them? Well, of course not. But it does mean I accept you, the fact that God built you and created you, and I'm to love you, and I'm to realize that. In Romans chapter 15, verse 7, here's what Scripture says. It says, accept one another. Then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. So let me get this in the right order. According to Scripture, accept one another and all your weirdness. Just accept it. God made you. I love you. Accept that. Second step, just as Christ accepted you. So just like with Eddie, with everything and everything we've ever done wrong and everything we're going to do wrong, Jesus accepted you just as you are. I know people who will say at some time, you know, one of these days I'm going to give this up and I'm going to give that up and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and then I'm going to come to Christ. Well, Jesus says, you don't do all that, just come to me. I mean, picture Jesus on the cross like this, right? Arms wide open. And we come to him, his arms are still wide open. And then he wraps his arms around us and says, I've got you, I accept you, I love you, just like you are. I don't know anybody that doesn't want to be accepted. I'll have people every now and then say, you know, Chuck, we need to wear coats and ties when we come to church. Okay, if that's your deal, just wear it. Just knock yourself out. Just wear three pieces if you want. I mean, I'm totally cool with that. And then I have other people say, you know, Chuck, we just need to get super cash and we need to wear like shorts and flip-flops and t-shirts and it's just all cool and make it chill for everybody. And you know, knock yourself out. And then I've got other folks say, you know, we kind of split the middle. We need that whole business casual thing. Well, just help yourself. At the end of the day, you know what we just really need to do? We need to accept the fact that you are imperfect, weird people that God adores and loves so much that he let Christ come, his own son, and die for you. And if we really believe that, we're going to accept one another and say, I know Jesus loves you. I have no choice but to love you. We learn to accept. And we accept it in that order. Now, accept others, it means I stop trying to change them. I, inevitably, sometime this week, I'll have somebody call me or Facebook me or come by the office and tell me, you know, when I married them, I thought I could change them. Okay, that's just a stupid concept. Well, I thought when I married them, I could turn them into like me. Doesn't work that way. I mean, that's like if you, if you, if you came to this church and you met Christ and became a Christian here, it wasn't because of me, it because of the Holy Spirit of God. If you went to a Billy Graham con uh, crusade and you, you came to faith in Christ and became a Christian, it wasn't, Billy Graham didn't save you. It was Jesus. I mean, the only way our lives change is through the power and the presence of Jesus in our, in our lives and our heart. Listen, if you're trying to change your spouse, if you're trying to change your kid, if you're trying to make them into who you are, you're going to fail. 
Now, now watch this. The goal is not to make somebody something else. The goal is together become more like Jesus. Because you see, the minute you stop learning, the minute you've stopped having the right to influence their life, Jesus isn't done with you either. So why on earth would we look down our nose at somebody else and not accept them when we've got our own problems to deal with? You see, we love what we value. You love football? You're going to value it and you're going to find time for it. You love fishing? You're going to value it and you're going to find time for it. You love scrapbooking, which just sounds like death on a stick to me, but you love scrapbooking? I just can't imagine that. I really can't. Let's use these scissors. <laughs> Send those emails to ron at sugarhillchurch.com. But we love what we value. Here's the great news. Humanly speaking, you can't do it. In the power of God, you can. So if you choose to rest in the power of God, you can allow him to change others through the power of the cross, and you don't have to. You say, well, what's my job? Pray for them and live in the power of the cross. Nothing will change a life like seeing a life that's being changed. So go live in the power of the cross. Secondly, loving actions. Now, listen, I know what some of you are saying. You know, Chuck, this doesn't work for me. If you're going to reach the summit of relationships and love completely, we need the rope of acceptance, but we need a little traction in loving actions. Let me give you three C's here that I think might help us in that. First one is consideration. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 says this, And look out for one another's interests, not just for your own. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you know what consideration is? Consideration in my marriage with Jenny looks just like this. Sweetheart, I want you to succeed more than I want to succeed. Because when you've done that, I've succeeded. I want you to feel loved more than I feel loved. Because when you do that, I know I'm loved. I want you to have everything God wants you to have. And I want you to experience the most fulfilling, wonderful life in God. And when you do, I've succeeded. But if I go the other way around and say, Jen, your job is to fulfill me. Your job is to make me happy. Your job, then it is a job and it's not an act of love. Does that make sense? You see, our challenge is, is recognizing what those acts of love really are. You know what? My sweetheart loves perfume bottles. You know what I'm not good at remembering? Buying perfume bottles. You know what that reminder to me is? That is a loving action that is not just words, but those are words indeed. You say, well, Chuck, you know, I'm just not into that. I don't want to do that. You know, I never bought flowers in my life until I was married to Jenny. You know what? The concept of buying something that's going to die in three days is just foreign to me. I don't get that. Now, if I can eat it, I'm all for it. <laughs> like, you know, like double stuffed Oreos, totally dig that. I get it. Flowers, I mean, what are they good for? I mean, you smell like a funeral home. What in the world? You know? But now my wife loves flowers. You know what I did Friday? I brought home flowers. <laughs> Some of you guys took note on that one, didn't you? You know what it really boils to? That just means we look to meet the needs of others before we meet our own. That's what it means. Second C is cooperation. I mean, um, 
all of us from the time we were little boys and little girls, we learned how to compete. We learned how to be number one. We learned how to look out for number one. And Jesus comes into our life and all of a sudden com- competition is turned right side up and now it becomes cooperation. I mean, it's truly this concept that one plus one equals far more than two when you let God be the rope that holds you together. And before long, that cooperation becomes something amazing. In John 13, 1, Jesus is speaking and he says, it was just before the Passover feast and Jesus knew that the time was come for him to leave this world and go to the Father having loved his own who were in the world. Now watch this. He then showed them the full extent of his love. Jesus went and did love. Love, you see, is a verb. It's, it's what happens. It, it, it occurs. He showed them his love by serving them. He washed their feet. It's something a servant would do. And Jesus does this in such a way that everybody there recognizes God's math doesn't make one plus one equal two. It's so much more. Because when he serves us, he loves us completely. And that's how he's called us to love his gift that he's placed around us, whether it's your spouse, your children, your friends. He's to love that. And third, third C is commitment. Now, love is not love without the traction of commitment, of making a lifelong commitment to one another. It's just not natural to do all that. I know that. It's natural to look out for me. It's natural to to be selfish, but it's supernatural then when I don't. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire to obey Him and the power to do what pleases Him. I mean, you can't build a great relationship without the power of God. And if every little thing throws you off and you say, well, I'm done with you, then I got to ask you, why are you loving them? Is the power of God, is there a cornerstone that holds it rock solid? I performed a wedding over in the chapel last night, and in every wedding I do here, I use this phrase, and I say, these two have come together now that they might be one. Last night, the couple that I married, instead of a unity candle, they used the sands, and they, they took one thing of sand that was one color and another thing of sand that was another color, and the, the, the groom took this one and the bride took this one, and we talked about how the two become one, and they poured those sands back in together, and now those sands are all mingled together. You know what's interesting about that sand is that you can never again separate them the way they were, ever. Their lives will always be intertwined. Why not value the fact that God has given you this opportunity to treat it that way? Finally, if we're going to climb this mountain, we got to do it with forgiveness. What a magical, beautiful, wonderful thing forgiveness is. It's what tethers us to the rock in order to keep from following. It's this fail-safe attachment point for protection in our relationships. And that tether is forgiveness. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, here's what we read. Get along with each other and forgive each other. If someone does wrong to you, forgive that person. Why? Because the Lord forgave you. Now, let me just remind you. We all raised our hand. I've, I've made a mistake this week. Now, the second part of this, have you asked Christ to forgive you? Because, see, if you do, he is faithful and just to do that very thing. So now, if he'll forgive you, how much more are you then to forgive others? Forgiveness. John Ortberg said in, in his book, the problem for many couples is they just have an incorrect concept of what marriage really is. You know, I really do believe, and I read this earlier this week, a biblical concept is that marriage is like having a box of broken pieces and broken parts. 
Because marriage is when two imperfect people come together and share all their imperfection. I mean, it's, it's, it's like watching one of those train crashes on TV. It just comes together and... And all those parts come together. But you know, that marriage, that broken pieces, those broken parts, called we call it incompatibility. It's really broken pieces that come together, and our challenge in marriage is to take our box of broken pieces, bring them together to marriage, and then allow God to build something beautiful in it together. You see, the, the, the wonderful picture of this is this. You're not the one on the hook to make it work. Your job is just to love God and allow Him to do His work. Because I promise you, you can't have a healthy marriage apart from God doing what He wants to do. You can't have healthy relationships with your kids without God being at the center of it. You can't have a healthy relationship with your friends without Christ being in the center of it. It's an impossible task. If we're going to summit the mountains of living completely, we've got to accept others as God's creation and allow Him to work through them. We've got to invest in loving actions, love being a verb, and put it to work for you. And we've got to anchor our lives in the spirit and the passion of forgiveness. And I, I challenge you to look for ways to love completely. So let me land this plane for us today. Some of us today, here right now, you're saying, Chuck, I don't feel loved. You're saying, Chuck, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't feel like I have a comforter. I'm, I'm alone. Some of you are saying, Chuck, my marriage is beyond, beyond saving. Some of you are saying, my kids have driven me completely crazy. Chuck, I don't know what to do. Some of you are saying, I've been in a relationship and it's just not going where I want it to go. And some of you are saying, I just don't feel very loved today. I'd never ask for a show of hands, but you know what I've learned in a room like this? That's many of us. It's really this simple. God, I know you made me to be a loving being. I know you love me because you sent your son Jesus to die for me, to raise from the dead for me, and to create a home in heaven for me. You had to have loved me a lot to do that. God, I want to see other people with those kind of eyes and that kind of compassion and that kind of love. And I don't want to feel alone. And I don't want to feel unloved anymore. So Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of all of junk in my life. I invite you into my life and into my heart and just take over. Let me be a person that loves you and loves others. And Jesus, come love on me extravagantly. You know, when I think of Jesus loving on me extravagantly, you know what I recognize? I didn't do, I di- I didn't do anything to earn it. I don't deserve it. I'm not worthy of it. And still Jesus says, you're my boy. I love you. Come here. Somehow he gathers me up in his arms and he lets me know that he loves me. Every person in this room, maybe even every person that listens to this on a podcast, you know what Jesus' word for you is today? Come here. Let me put my arms around you. I love you. I want you to have my love in all of its extravagance. Would you stand with me quietly and reverently? Lord Jesus, in this time as we sing about your love and its extravagance, remind us of your goodness and your grace. And for those today that just need to have that loving relationship with you, I pray they'd simply say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I love you. 
There may be folks who want to come to this altar and pray. They maybe want to start afresh for their life. Maybe there's somebody who wants to come and, and be prayed with. Maybe there's somebody here today who wants to join this church and be a part of this family. Lord, in all those things, they're just yours. We don't want to manipulate anybody or cause anybody through emotion. We just want people to be loved extravagantly in your arms and in your love. So as our people sing, let this be their prayer today. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our King, 